0: This morning is really a, a culmination of a long, slow walk that we've been traveling through uh, this Lenten season. We've looked uh, intentionally for the past several weeks at the, the last week of Jesus, walking very very slowly and deliberately through that story. And when we came to Friday, it appeared uh, that the story had ended at that point, that the journey had ended. But by Sunday, we realize that it's really only just the beginning. A new journey has dawned. I'm going to be reading from Mark uh, chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 13. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. If you're following along in your Bibles, you'll know there's a little interesting note in this section, and that is because some of the earliest manuscripts of the gospel of Mark ended right here. Some of the later manuscripts had some additions. Some people think it was later evangelists trying to add in material to to make it in sync with some of the other gospels. Other read Mark's gospel and said, how could you end with those words? And they were afraid. So they added some things in to kind of round the gospel out. Either way, most interpreters and scholars keep the next section in. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he'd cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, and as they were walking in the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you have been our dwelling place from all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Speak to us now as you've spoken to us throughout the ages on this Easter Sunday, reveal Yourself and Your will for our lives that we might live as Your Easter people. We seek Your face, O Lord. Hear our prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you read the Gospels, you'll know that that Mary Magdalene, who our story speaks about, plays a very large role in the resurrection story. Most of Jesus' followers, His disciples, those people that, that followed Him for years had scattered at this point. They really scattered at His arrest. They were not to be found at the crucifixion. They were not to be found at the trial. But Mary Magdalene seems to be present at every step throughout this final n- narrative. In many ways, Mary was a troubled woman, or at least the Scriptures tell, her that she had, tell us that she had a very troubled past. Both uh, Mark and Luke tell us that Jesus, when He interacted with her for the very first time, cast demons out of her. Her body would have no no doubt borne the, the scars and the trauma of this demon possession at one point. She would have been considered a complete social outcast because of her past, in her societal moment, no one would want to be around her or hear from her or, or even interact with her whatsoever. But what the Gospels tell us is that when she was healed by Jesus, she became one of his most faithful followers. John tells us that she was at the foot of the cross during the crucifixion. And Mark tells us that she was the first one at the grave That Sunday morning. If you read Mark's gospel, you'll know that he's a very matter-of-fact storyteller. His gospel, it's the most simple, it's the most straightforward, it's the most direct, and yet he offers us a window into Mary's soul. He helps us to, to see her deepest emotions throughout the passion narrative. If you know me, you know I've never considered myself to be a, a very emotional person. I've become more emotional now that I've had kids and I've gotten older, but I've never considered myself to be an emotional person unless I'm watching sporting events and then I become incredibly emotional, whether it's the Orioles or the Ravens or whatever it is. I've been known to, to sit and watch games, get excited, get sad, declare tragedy, declare victory all at once. And then at the very end, I'm exhausted because of the, the range of emotions I have felt. Well, in some ways, our pa- and if you look at our passage, you see the evolution of Emotion. You see the, the full range of emotion in this story, particularly in Mary, as we observe her going from sadness to fear and then finally to awe. When our story starts out, it starts with sadness. Verse 10 tells us that the whole community of Jesus' followers after the crucifixion were mourning and weeping the loss of Jesus. Imagine what they had been feeling at this moment. They had spent three long years close to Jesus' side every day. They spent every waking moment with Him. They saw Him perform various miracles and miraculous signs. They saw His great love and compassion for others. They saw Him raise people from the dead, and now He had been arrested and He had been executed. They had followed him thinking that he was going to bring about the kingdom of God to bear on this earth. They placed all of their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations into following Jesus and now he was gone. Had they been mistaken all along? Had they wasted the last three years of their life? Now what were they supposed to do with their lives? And and what if the authorities found them and did the same thing to them that they had done to Jesus? Would they come and kill them too? Their friend, their teacher was now dead and he was lying in a borrowed grave. To make matters worse, the the Sabbath had begun on sundown at Friday, and it carried through to sundown on Saturday. And whenever you or I deal with grief and sadness, sometimes the very best thing that we can do is just distract ourselves from the sadness. Your friends will call you up and you'll say, don't stay home, let's go out, let's get your mind off of your grief and your sadness. Let's get your mind off the things that continue to replay in your mind. But because it was the Jewish Sabbath that Saturday, all that they could do was rest. They could not journey. They could not work. They couldn't do anything to distract themselves from the grief and the pain that they were feeling. The messages, the emotions would just keep playing in their heads and their hearts over and over and over again. That's why it says in verse 1 that when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. You just get this sense that they were waiting for the sun to come up. They couldn't wait for the sun to just come over the hill so that they could just do something with their grief. And sadness. They had this grief and they wanted to do something with it. They had to distract themselves or act upon it. So, as soon as they are able, as soon as that sun comes up, they rush to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Even this must have been incredibly difficult for them. One can only imagine their grief. They would need to to touch the body and all the emotions and grief would be reinforced by the physicality of a dead body. It would just reinforce or turn up the volume on their grief and sadness. But when they arrive at the tomb, their emotions transform from sadness into fear Mark seems to complete his gospel account with these words in verse 8 and they were afraid The Greek here is the word phoberos which is the same word that we get our word phobia from You see the women they arrive at the tomb and the stone is rolled away and immediately they are cast into all sorts of different emotions Upon entering the tomb, they enter in and they find an angel, a divine messenger, a divine warrior standing there telling them that Jesus, who was crucified, has risen. He is not here. The ESV says they were alarmed, they were scared. So many thoughts were rushing into their minds at this moment. Was Jesus' body stolen? The Romans certainly are not going to like this. Could we be in danger because this body is missing? And now there's an angel here telling us that he is risen, but we just saw him brutally crucified. What is going to happen now? They were full of sadness and now fear, probably wondering, probably fearful what was going to happen next. Verse 8 tells us they were trembling, they were astonished, and they were alarmed. They were full of all sorts of emotions, and they couldn't sort them out on the fly. In short, they were very human. This is what I appreciate so much about Mark's gospel account, because in some ways, he presents the most accurate, accurate picture of humanity as it grapples with Jesus. Easter has always been an incredibly joyful and triumphant holiday. We dress in bright colors and we go to services that are full of trumpets and pomp and circumstance. And in many ways, this is incredibly appropriate, but it is very far from what happened that first Easter. Jesus' followers were scared to death on that first Easter. They were struck by the mystery. They didn't know what to believe. In fact, the overwhelming response from everyone who first heard about the resurrection was that they didn't believe. They couldn't believe it. Friends, the Scriptures are very clear that the resurrection is the center point of Christianity. We would not be here this morning if it were not for the resurrection. We might not even know who Jesus was without the resurrection. We would simply believe that he was just another man in a long line of men who were executed for their militant worldview. But the resurrection did happen. It provides hope that life is not just what we see here and now. It means that Jesus' promise to forgive sin was not just words it was reality. It means that Jesus gained victory over sin and death that the grave could not hold him. His plan of redemption had been accomplished. We've been liberated from spiritual bondage. God's cosmic cleanup has begun. The kingdom of God is here. But friends, let's not pretend that when it comes to the resurrection, that it is an easy thing to process or even an easy thing to believe. We are a lot like Jesus' followers when it comes to the resurrection. We are often a jumble of emotions, a jumble of both belief and unbelief all at once. This is why I love that, that the gospel writers included the story of Thomas. Thomas, of course, we know is the doubting Thomas, and we condemn Thomas for his doubt, but Jesus never condemned him for his doubt. Instead, Jesus embraces him even as he wrestled with the reality of the resurrection, and Jesus does the same for us. We approach the resurrection story with a complex set of emotions, and yet He embraces us anyway. This is why the gospel is about His grace and about the gift of faith, not the strength that we can muster up on our own. Belief has never been easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus' disciples, and it isn't easy for us today. It's why one theologian said, faith isn't something you can just drum up like that by your own efforts. It's what comes when you're looking hard at the object of your faith, namely Jesus. So, friends, come to Jesus with your imperfections. Come to him with your belief and your unbelief. Come to him with both your doubts and your assurances. Come to him, to him with your emotional complexity. He waits with open arms, ready to give rest for your souls. I think there's one final emotion that we see in this passage. We see sadness, we see fear, and then finally we see awe. The word bewildered in verse 8 has a very full meaning in Greek. The NAS translates it as astonished. And the Greek is the Greek word ecstasis, where we get the root for the word ecstasy. It means a a sacred ecstasy of mind or a rapture of the mind. To use our language today, their minds were blown, they were awestruck by what they had seen. We use the words awe and awesome as throwaway words, but friends, this resurrection is all inspiring If there is one thing that we learn from a very young age, it is that death is certain and final, and yet here is Jesus, the Son of God, kicking death to the curb. One who is brutally crucified is now alive and in our midst. Luke tells a story of the resurrected Jesus visiting two men on the road to Emmaus, and after Jesus leaves, the men remark about how their hearts were burning within them when they were with Jesus. They were filled with awe. Friends, the resurrection isn't something that we should just pull off the shelf and dust off and celebrate every Easter Sunday. Instead, it should be the engine that fuels our all of God now and for all of eternity. Sadness, fear, and awe. Really an apt description of the path to God. Sadness and fear about the state of our hearts and the reality of a holy God, all that God became one of us suffered and died on the cross and was raised to new life. One day we will experience the resurrection of our own souls. Place your faith in this good news and receive eternal life. The passage also leaves us with one last thing. It leaves us with a charge, and the charge is go and tell. Mary was instructed by the angel, go and tell. The disciples were later instructed, go and tell. And if you are gods, know that you have been saved wonderfully by the grace of Jesus Christ, but also know that you have been charged. Go into the world and tell the truth of the resurrection. As one commentator wrote, the message of Jesus' resurrection transforms a hopeless end into an endless hope. Go and tell about this endless hope to a world that needs good news. See, Mary discovered on that Easter morning a deeper meaning to the words of Psalm 30. And that psalm reads, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's celebrate that joy this Easter Sunday. Let's pray.